Osiris. Dreaming is a serious thing. It sounds soft. It sounds like clouds and sleep and fluffy sheep, but it really is serious. You know what? Dreamers are the only things that save this shit. Hi, this is Maggie Rose. You're listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. Salute the Songbird is a platform for women in music to share their stories and let their voices be heard. And everyone has a seat at the table. Hey, everybody, it's Maggie Rose, and welcome to episode five of season two of Salute the Songbird. And I'm absolutely thrilled about today's guest, but before I go any further, I have to tell you how ecstatic I am to be back out on the road. The Have a Seat Tour is underway, and it's been so fantastic to see you all out there, to celebrate the joy of music with you, and finally give you this record. It's so worth the wait. So thank you for showing up at these shows. Thank you for showing up here today. One gig that I just played in particular that's relevant to today's guest is the Newport Folk Fest. I just had my debut performances, and my guest today, Valerie June, is a very important part of the Newport Folk Fest fabric. She played a lot of songs at her last appearances from her record that's now released, The Moon and Stars, Prescriptions for Dreamers, produced by Jack Splash, who's worked with Kendrick Lamar, J. Cole, Solange, Prince, David Shaw of The Revivalist, and now Valerie June to add to his pedigree. What I love about Valerie is that she's a master of duality. And she has a song out right now that's racing up the charts called Call Me a Fool. And her fairy godmother, as she calls it, or her musical mentor, Carla Thomas, recites an African proverb at the beginning of the song that reads, Only a fool tests the depths of the water with both feet. I find that interesting because I think Valerie is someone who has her feet firmly planted in so many different places with wonderful measure and balance. From her music, which transcends genre, geographically, she has roots in Jackson, Tennessee, Memphis, Tennessee, and Brooklyn. She has ties to the Church of Christ, but she also is very rooted in her secular spiritual practices like meditation. She exists as one of the few women of color in her genre, although encouragingly, we're seeing that change. And she's also a very gifted vocalist, multi-instrumentalist, and a published author of a new book of poetry called Maps for the Modern World, which you can buy anywhere books are sold. It's fantastic. But I also know Valerie as someone who sets her mind on something and jumps all the way in. So that's just another way in which she is complex and wonderful. So let's jump in with Valerie June at the beginning of her story in Jackson, Tennessee. You grew up in Jackson, Tennessee, and then you moved to Memphis when you were 19. We both moved to major cities in Tennessee for music when we were 19 years old. But how did moving to Memphis shape your music? Because I know you sung a lot in your house with your siblings and with the Church of Christ being just vocal oriented and not instrument based. You probably were exposed to a whole new array of like a new sonic landscape when you moved to Memphis? Yes. What happened when I moved to Memphis was that I would hear the songs being sung by Mississippi John Hurt and Carter family. People like that from other musicians, they'd just be playing that music around town, like the blues and stuff on the radios. And 
when you go to get a coffee or anything, they're playing this kind of music. And I knew the songs so well from the church songbook, like Farther Along or Keep on the Sunny Side of Life. Mm-hmm. We sang those in Church of Christ. So whenever I heard them with instruments, I lost my mind. I was like, oh, my God, I got to learn how to play an instrument because <laughs> I already knew the songs up and down. What did it look like at Church of Christ? What was that kind of ensemble? How was the music conducted? Well, when you go, it's about at our congregations. First, I went to an all-Black Church of Christ from birth until about 13. It's about 500 people. There might have been like one or two white people, like the minister's wife was white, but out of 500, you know. Mm -hmm. And so the African-American church where... The song leader gets up in front of 500 people and says, turn to this certain page. And you turn there and everyone all together starts singing. There's no choir and no instruments. So everyone, all 500 voices, whether you can sing in your mind or you can't sing in your mind, you sing. Because if you don't, you're going to hell because that's the way it is. You have to lift your voice unto God according to the Bible. And so, because I didn't want to go to hell, I sang really, really loud. (laughs) I was like, I'm getting heaven, damn it. And so then, I also, after we moved across town, more to the country, the church that we went to was North Jackson Church of Christ. So that one was predominantly white, and we were one of the few Black families who went. There might have been one other Black family, but there were 500 white people, and then us. So this singing there was very different because at the Black church, the singing was more like from the lower part of the body, more like, whoa. Mm-hmm. And at the white church, the singing was more like, oh, heady. Right. And my mm-hmm. voice, I was used to singing low. But when I went to the white church, I started to teach myself how to sing from a different place, more like from the head. And it was the same songs because it's all church cries. So the same song books, but the way you sing is different. So I never developed the middle of my voice. I developed the lows and I developed the super highs. And the middle is something I'm working on now in my life. But that I had all these teachers, these two different sets of 500. So basically a thousand voices that were teaching me and I would just find a voice I liked and I would listen to it and I'd try to match that voice. And if it was a man's voice or a kid's voice or a woman's voice or a high voice or a low voice, I'd just be like, well, this Sunday, this is my chosen voice I'm going to match. And I'd try to sing along with them and match it. And the next week, a different one. And then I'd be like, where's that person who had that beautiful voice I loved last week? Let me listen again or try to sit close to them so I can hear their voice, you know? I think you've really beautifully balanced existing in so many places and peacefully. And you can belong everywhere and just have something that's all your own too. Is that how you taught yourself to play instruments too? Just kind of watching and observing all these different instrumentalists and applying it to your own style? The instruments, they have to follow my voice because I tried to learn traditionally. I tried to do it the way that I do singing, but I can't because I'm not natural at the instruments. I'm more natural as a singer. 
Mm -hmm. So with the instruments, I have to play to my voice. And so during the pandemic, it's the first time in my life I actually had a time to sit and try to learn scales on the instruments and (laughs) things like that. But other than that, it's just been like, I got a chord book. I learned some chords and I matched the chords to my voice. So whatever I'm singing, I'm like, "Ah, nope, not G, not Mm -hmm. C, F, okay. And then the next one, what's the next one? You know, and I just keep matching the chords to my voice because that's the way I learned first was with voice. So everything has to follow the voice for me, but I'm trying to get to be a better musician so that I can just play like other people. When I watch you, you appear to have such a command over all the instruments that you play. And it seems to be an effective vessel for these songs, these amazing songs that you've written. But your voice, you said your voice kind of guides you. It is so special and unique. And I know that you probably had to have identified that at an early age with all the singing that you were doing, especially in large groups of people. Did you see power in that or did you feel like an outlier or what was your relationship with your voice in the very beginning? In the very beginning, it was just that I loved to sing and nobody could shut me up. I just loved it. And then you start to judge yourself as you get older because the world judges you Mm -hmm. and you have to slowly begin to define it to the world And my whole life, ever since I started defining it, has been breaking down what I defined. Because, no, I don't want to have to choose a definition for sound or voice or for music. Because to me, it's ethereal. It's huge. And if you want to learn a certain tradition, that's one thing. But if you just want to be a creator and you want to be creative and you want to be an artist, and you want to be whimsical and magical and ethereal, which is what I see myself as, then all the definitions become white. That's totally what you project, too. Thank you. (laughs) And I'm like, how can I just fly and soar in the creativity versus having to tell everyone why it's okay to be me constantly? I'm done. You transcend so many styles and you do it really effortlessly, especially with your latest album, The Moon and the Stars, Prescriptions for Dreamers, which has been my medicine just in preparing to speak with you. It's a journey. like It's this wild journey that takes you in so many different musical planes, but it all fits together. And I love the visuals that you did for it to pair with the album as you listen down. Who shot that? It was such an amazing woman named Renata Ronshaw. And she just is such a creator and so wonderful. And she's based in New York. And she just had this team of people who were able to come in a pandemic and pull that off in one day. Okay. (laughs) Who does that? (laughs) We did testing. And it's just, I was so excited about that piece. And, you know, I didn't really know what visualizers were. 
Mm-hmm. The label was trying to explain it to me. And they were like, we want to try something with you that we haven't done before because we've been seeing people do visualizers. So we want to do a visualizer for the whole record. And I was like, okay, that seems like a lot in one day, but let's give it a try. And I think it turned out so beautiful. So yeah, it's I'm stunning. glad they decided to do it. Well, and having heard the audio first a couple of times and then watching the visualizers paired with it, it is visual. And I think it totally exudes all those adjectives that you were saying earlier, ethereal and colorful and otherworldly. And it's stunning. You are gorgeous, but there's this look of peace on your face. Even when you're singing the blues, you have the smile on your face. And do you see visuals when you're writing? For some songs, not for all of them, but mm-hmm. some of them I do. I was talking to PJ Harvey years ago, and she told me she sees like a film, like a movie, whenever she writes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, that must be so cool. But it's just so neat to me how, as writers and artists, we get to be transported to these other worlds in our imagination, mm-hmm. I think. But maybe they're real. I don't know. <laughs> it seems like imagination. <laughs> I read somewhere where you said that sometimes the songs that you're singing aren't necessarily just to come from your voice. It could be another character who's inspired you that's speaking through you. And do you think that it's just people before you and coming after you that are kind of speaking through you on a musical level? I think about that a lot as a songwriter. What are these voices that I'm hearing? Are they my imagination or are they the songs of other souls and other spirits? I also look at music, for example, and the business of music and how you can be a great songwriter, but not a great entertainer or a great musician. And like we were talking about how I'm still trying to learn my instruments and stuff, but not a great songwriter. So there's all these different aspects of being an artist and being in the music world. And I tend to think that people like maybe Etta James or Tina Turner, ones that I really love, who did not write most of their own songs, they're able to embody that Mm. song and take that character farther than the songwriter who originally wrote it could because that songwriter, they're too close to it. It takes like an actress or an actor to really get the song out and all the emotion and the passion and everything. Or, you know, if Aretha were to sing a certain Baccarat song and then um, there would be Dionne Warwick singing the same song and Nina Simone singing the same song. You know, all of these different characters singing that same song and they just take it to these different worlds. And so I think... I have this gift of writing the song and I'm trying to develop the other gifts, but the real fun part for me is not the fame part. It's not the numbers and the likes. The real fun part is just writing the songs and that's very personal and it's alone and it's not really something that I even think about the world when I'm doing. I escape from the world when I'm in the middle of a song. I'm in that song, you know? Now, I know you've done co-writing with Dan Auerbach and Jack Splash and some of these amazing producers that you've worked with, but do you typically like to write on your own? Yeah, I really do. 
<laughs> what do you think about the co-writing process? Well, I love it. I love being able to like take a little skeleton of a song and being in the room with someone else and seeing like, do they have the other piece to this puzzle? Because that's usually the way it works with me and with the other people I've written with, that they would have something that would be the seed that starts it. And then we blossom and create the flower of the song from that seed. But I have a lot of songs that I can't finish. I got Mm -hmm. my songs that I finished, and then I have what I call skeletons. Mm -hmm. And those skeletons are ones that I take to sessions, and I begin a session with that because I don't have the rest of it. I've had this song maybe for five years or for two months or for 10 years, and it just hasn't come. I don't Mm -hmm. hear any other voices, nothing. All I heard was one line or a melody or like a guitar line or whatever. That's it. And from there, I feel like the other writers usually have the key. So what I want to do is I want to get really good at writing about a subject at the drop of a hat, like If they said, hey, let's write about pink pants today, I wouldn't be able to write a song about pink pants and just like do that, you know, but I don't have that talent yet. For those listening, Val has a great pair of pink pants on right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. I think it's just this never ending process. You can always mine for more and more and more. And co-writing for me initially was very awkward when I moved here as a teenager. I was like, so we're supposed to spill our guts and our deepest, darkest secrets. And I didn't feel really proficient at an instrument, but I was melody driven. What do you feel like if you have someone else in the room and you aren't able to pick up a guitar and play it, do you just kind of sing some ideas or what is the more frequent way that most of your ideas are born? I'll let you guess. Melody. <laughs> Vocals. Yeah. yeah. Certainly. <laughs> like many times if I'm in a co-writing session, I won't even touch an instrument. That's the right. difference between me writing my own song and me writing with someone else. <laughs> right. Like, I'll just be like, you play and I will see where voices come. What am I hearing based off what you are playing? Definitely, I feel like melodies are my gift because I had thousands of them for 18 years going around my head (laughs) every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. So I got melodies just stacked. Yeah. But you say melodies are your gift. Words are your gift. Your book that just came out is stunning. I just ordered my copy today. Everyone needs to order one. It's called Maps for the Modern World. And I saw this tweet that you put out on May 15th. And it made me really happy because you said, my cousin Vania and Dom Flemons, who's an incredible musician. I played with him at the Opry a couple of weeks ago and he's just awesome. Multi-instrumentalist like you just texted me a photo from their recent trip to Grimey's record store, which is in my neighborhood where they saw my new record and the new book on the shelf. It's surreal to have two pieces of art out in the world at the same time. My babies. That made me almost cry because it's just so cool that you have so much art out there living in a time where people really need it. It's healing. It's about navigating 
living in this world that's fast paced and everyone's hustling and grinding and it's the comparison game constantly ways to feel lesser than. And it's just is this book of compassion paired with this music that you have. It just feels like a gift and what you're putting out there is so selfless. But what does it feel like to be a published author? And also, how did that whole idea come to be? <sighs> I feel like I'm going to start crying just because <laughs> it's just, oh, it's a lot to me. To I mean, it means everything that I have these little thoughts and dreams and I want to share them and that I get a chance to because I just remember when I was younger in my 20s or whatever, making like little dream wish lists that I would be able to play music and that I would be able to share songs and things with the world and art. And I never saw myself writing a book, but it happened. <laughs> and when I think about all of that together, what I hope it does for people is I wanted to send out loads of seeds of light, like shards that were just all over the planet mm -hmm. that would just lift people up and fill them with joy and inspiration to follow their dreams whenever they would either hear it or see the drawings or read a poem or a line because there's some just quotes and lines in there which are thoughts to keep you energetic toward what your life purpose is because I think we all have gifts we all have dreams we all have like creative things to share with each other but the world isn't set up to support dreamers it's set up for comparison right now as you just yeah. say it and it's really like draining and it's like how do we keep each other energized for our purpose and our unique gift because I don't think every single guitar player or poet or artist is doing exactly the same thing even if they do the same type of thing it's mm -hmm. not the same exact thing and so I think we need more people who are able to share their creativity and it doesn't have to be monetized it doesn't have to be that but you have to nurture that side of your heart especially as you get older because I think the world becomes out of balance the earth becomes out of balance when we aren't following that dream side and not nurturing that dream side we can't create a reality where hunger doesn't exist, where poverty doesn't exist, where racism is erased. We can't create that reality without dreaming. We can't create that reality without creating some kind of like portal in our minds to imagine what it would look like if comparisons weren't the thing, weren't in, like weren't on our way of living. If racism wasn't, what does it look like to just be in a room with equals? Right. sexes and all races and all sizes and ages what does it look like <laughs> we have to have this imagination and dreams and light and songs and people have kept me on my path so I just wanted to do everything I could everything from art to music to dance whatever it is I was like I'm gonna do it all and just leave that <laughs> see you do with it what you want to do with it
you know, I think just with your poetry being so beautiful, it's such a gift and it will, it will continue to inspire so many people when you and I are both gone. It's just wonderful. And I know that you sent all of your lyrics beforehand to your producer before you guys went in to cut, which I think is really awesome that you put that up on a pedestal before cutting. It wasn't like, Hey, is this a catchy melody or any of the other things, the criteria that we usually go through and prioritize having the lyrics just written on a piece of paper. Like how did you decide to work with Jack Splash? Who's incredible and has worked with you and Kendrick Lamar and Solange and my friend, David Shaw. And just, he's, kind of mainstream, but I think he made a record for you. That's your record and not a Jack Splash record. How did you guys get connected and how did you select him? Well, we had a cup of tea. A lot of great things start over a cup of tea and this did. And I drank the tea and he had a smoothie. (laughs) (laughs) But um, we were at his place and he's surrounded by, I mean, everything artistic that he loves is in his studio. I don't care if it's a comic or photography or a mini sculpture or a painting. It is a place full of inspiration. And there was tons of poetry there. He had Samra's Immeasurable Equation. He had a lot of Khalil Gibran's books and many different quotes and things. And I would just be like, you know, I think that he will understand if I just let him into the writing world, into the world of what I'm trying to say with these lyrics and the message that I'm trying to convey of healing and how we follow our dreams and how our dreams are our life purpose and how our dreams connect with others Mm -hmm. and our conversations from anything with politics to fashion to art to music. It was all that. It was all us talking but also it being bigger than just a conversation in this room, it being something that we felt like, you know, this is going to make people smile. It's going to give people joy. And when they feel that joy, they're going to do some good shit. Yeah, <laughs> for the greater good. Simply that. They're going to dance. It's going to be a few moments without the insanity and the madness that was constantly projected onto us because we recorded the record over the whole (laughs) series of being in craziness with politics and everything. And it was just too much. And then the pandemic happened and we were finished with it. And I wanted to put it out, but... Everyone on the team was like, no, wait till next year. That's going to be the best. And I'm glad they did because it's for healing and it's right on time. And Jack felt the same way. But working with him, he is such an amazing person. Like his creativity is endless and he's willing to explore. Like, you know, I felt like with some of the other producers I met that when I started dropping beats into my music, that they would have been like, no, let's have a real drummer do that. And even sometimes I'd have a beat in there and I would say to Jack, I don't want this beat the whole way. I want the real drummer to play a little bit. And he would be like, no, we're keeping the beat. You know, mm-hmm. when I would tell myself, no, nah, what I created is not going to work. He was the one who was like, 
keep with what you're doing. Believe in it. You can do this. Go. You know? So like, he was a cheerleader. He still is. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So he just let me explore and have fun. And he knew how to guide and to teach me, you know, so much. I love that. He's a great collaborator. And that reminds me of your song, You and I, which I love. That one really hit me because it seems like a love song, but it also could be a friendship. And it's just about humility and collaboration. And if I'm on the right track, that's what it read as to me. You and I. What do you feel over your wonderful career? You've worked with so many awesome artists. And I feel like have they substantiated what you're doing and having people like Jack around and Carla Thomas, which is insane. We'll get to that. But how do you feel by proximity to these amazing talents? You're becoming a better musician. Oh, man. Even being able to sit in the room with people like Carla Thomas and Jack Splash right there, what it does for my creativity when I say, uh, you know, I'm going to get better at playing music. It just gives me that stamp of approval. Like, right. you're on your way. And dreamers need those signs. They need those, I call them wizards. And mm. with Carla, she's my fairy godmother. But they are the people that, like, keep you on your journey. Think of Mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings, and they're going on this journey. Where would they be without the wizard, the wise voice? And so (laughs) all of the musicians that I've worked with, from Booker T, Jones, to Mavis, to (sighs) Carla, to Dan Arbach, they have been wizards and guides. Nora Jones, (laughs) what are you talking about, girl? I love, love, love Nora. (laughs) So, you know, I've been lucky because I've been working with gentle guides, Mm. the gentle teachers. That is (laughs) such a key. That's the operative word is gentle. And I think being gentle with ourselves, physically, mentally, having people in the room who are going to be like a soft current to allow you to still be who you are, but, you know, help you shape what you're doing and recognize in you what you don't recognize in yourself, which is that great example that you gave about Jack, just kind of helping you stick to your guns and be convicted about what you're doing. But I feel like there's also this spiritual feeling that comes across and all the cues you take from nature, your meditative conclusion of the album, Starlight Ethereal Silence. It's just nature sounds and you have to trust that voice within you. And I think you tap into that a lot with how you allude to meditation. How has that been integral in your life? It's been everything. It is everything in the sense of I started to go into meditative states in motion, in action. And believe it or not, I was a cleaning lady for about seven years in Memphis. And when I 
cleaned people's houses, it usually takes about three to four hours to clean a mm-hmm. house. I would start following my breath and breathing in, I am dusting, breathing out, I am dusting. And I would start doing affirmations. And so that was four hours in that house. And then I'd leave and go to my next house and I'd do it again. And so I started putting myself in that state. And I feel like I was lifting the energy of a person's home too. Mm. But I started doing it then. And then when I got sick, I used it to see myself out of the bed and get my energy back and rejuvenate my body. And I use it all the time. I use it every day. You know, I say to the band, when we get to a gig, I'm going to go do my walk. And I don't say to them, I'm going to go do my meditation. I just go do my walk. And when I do my walk, I'm doing walking meditation. And I stay in that trance or I sit in the back of the van and they're all in the front. And I do my meditation while we're getting to our next gig, you know. Or I'm on a flight and I'm about to go (laughs) to L.A. from New York. I'm trying to stay in that state. And I've been that way for many years where, okay, I have to go check in at the counter. I have to go, you know, board the plane. But once I'm in a place where I can just go into the state of transcendence, then I'm ready to go. I'm like, like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and check out now, (laughs) which I think is also checking in. Right. Totally. (laughs) I think that's what your inner voice is so strong because of is you're nurturing that and you're checking in. It's a totally essential tool in this modern world. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with the wonderful Valerie June. I think talking to her right now is definitely something I need because I believe we're still wandering in the forest of last year and we want to not block our blessings. She's so beautifully put. We want to make sure to stay clear headed and positive. And also for the dreamers, her song Call Me a Fool is saying, fine, bring on the hate. Call me a space cadet. Say that my head's in the clouds, but dreamers are the people who advance our society. I think that we need to give them a lot more credit. There's so much risk involved. There's no guarantees, but that's where the innovation comes, creating something from nothing. So let's all be like Valerie and get out of the woods together. All right, I want to talk about your single, which is Bananas. It's so good. Call me a fool featuring Carla Thomas, the Queen of Soul from Memphis. How did that happen? She sung with Otis. And and you call her your fairy godmother, which I think is so awesome. I've heard you refer to her as that a couple of times. I love She's her. a legend. I want to take her with me everywhere. <laughs> I just saw her in Memphis last week, and it's just amazing to be in the room with her. Because her stories are wonderful. Her voice is beautiful. And I met her through Boo Mitchell, who's a producer and engineer and studio owner in Memphis. And I called him and I said, do you know how I can get in touch with Carla? Because his father, Willie Mitchell, recorded all the Al Green stuff, all the Ann Peebles. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. And he said, yeah, I'll get in touch with her. And we booked a session at his place. 
because I said, I got a song I want to sing on, and he made it happen. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, it was the best day, too, just hanging out with her. Like, it literally was so great. And I tried to meet her, like, for drinks this last time, but I wasn't able to get to have drinks with her. But I really loved that. We shared a glass of wine and we just mm-hmm. talked for hours and hours. It was so much fun. <laughs> it's such a perfect fit. And you can feel the love. And then I love the African proverb that precedes that song. Was that something that you wanted her to do ahead of time? Like, did you know that that was also going to be a role that you designate to her? I knew that I wanted to have another voice read it, but I didn't know until we got in the studio that I wanted it to be her. Because when we got in the studio, it was like maybe 10 a.m. And she talked and told us stories till about... (laughs) maybe 1.30. Oh, my gosh. So I have been listening to her talk for about three hours, and I was not bored, I'm telling you. Wow. Like, Tell me more. How long did and it take to cut the song? About 40 minutes. So oh my all goodness. of that time I was talking. But after I listened to her talk and I listened to the stories, I was like, you know what? I have to ask you, will you read this African proverb before you sang and she did <laughs> it's just perfect will you share it with us yes the proverb says only a fool tests the depths of the water with both feet she's like the voice who's warning you and she's saying are you sure you want to follow a dream are you sure you want to follow your heart And every dreamer's journey needs that. They need someone who's like, hmm. And she says, she tries to grab your hand as you take the leap off the cliff and you jump and you soar. You end up soaring and you know that by the song because at the end of the song, her voice comes back in and her voice is singing then and it's going, super high and it's so soprano and beautiful it's like glass how clear it is Mm -hmm. and that to me is the visual of a voice soaring through over luscious greens over valleys it's the dreamer just flying (laughs) as high as they could they took the leap they didn't care if you called them a fool they said i don't care you can call me a fool i'm doing it i'm doing it yes i think you have to be foolish to do it in a good way. You have to do this with reckless abandon and to have someone just kind of make you check yourself and make sure that that's what you want to do. Feels really good when your answer is a resounding yes. So yes. <laughs> and you're a dreamer, but I mean, what is a dreamer in the meta sense? I feel like you say you don't think about the world when you write a specific song, but I think in packaging this album, you're definitely thinking about our culture and what a dream means, how long it lives on. And what was the title inspired by of your album? Well, it's called The Moon and Stars, Prescriptions for Dreamers, but it came first as just The Moon and Stars. And that's because every time Jack and I got together to work, it was a full moon. We never planned it. it just every was. time? Yes. We never planned it. We just walk out and be like, Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And so 
On our last day of working together, there was some meteor shower out in L.A., and we quit working at about 1 a.m., and I went outside, and I was packing to go home, and I looked up, and, like, three shooting stars shot across the sky, and I was like, okay, so we had the full moon, and now we got the three shooting stars, so it's definitely moon and stars, but I felt like it was something else, too, and I guess maybe, like, four or five months passed, And since I came up with that name, Moon and Stars, and that's when Prescriptions for Dreamers came. And it came with the pandemic, which was a lot of time, as you said, I had to think about the world. I had a lot of time to think about the world and how these songs relate to the world and what kind of medicine I was trying to prescribe with each song, because I think songs have the ability to be medicine for us and to be cures for whatever we're feeling, any ailments, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I had a lot of time to think about that. And so I felt like we live in this time where George Floyd was murdered, Mm -hmm. where we lost John Lewis, where the world is going upside down with people inciting hate and negativity between each other. And Dr. King had this dream. It was real simple that we would all kind of live as one and that we would get along and that one day we would all just be united. And we call ourselves the United States. And I was just looking at not only at our country, but the globe and the way we treat Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? Dreamers are the only thing that's going to save this shit. Dreamers. They're the only ones. And how do we keep dreamers fed and alive how have i kept myself going it took me listening to sam cook saying change is going to come to keep me going it took me going to see john michelle basquiat's paintings or reading the alchemist which Mm -hmm. is a boy going on a journey's book to keep believing in my dream because i never thought that i was gonna make it and i'm still trying to make it and it's just like How do we keep going? And I think about my personal dream and how it's taken me fucking 20 years to be here in this body and be in this moment and just be in myself and excited about where I'm at and all of that. Just those lessons. And I think about us as humanity and how we still are pushing to see Dr. King's dream true. And dreaming is a serious thing. It sounds soft. It sounds like clouds and sleep and fluffy sheep counting, but it really is serious. You have to have a prescription to keep your heart healed if you're going to be a dreamer because it's real. It's fierce. (laughs) you got to be ready to keep your heart mended and together. (laughs) Absolutely. It's not for the faint of heart. I mean, just having any kind of dream, bring it to fruition is an act of faith, right? It is. You're co-creating. You're co-creating with each other, with the world and with your higher self and like everything. It's a lot. It's a lot. But even with the state of the world right now and all the ways in which we can be discouraged, I hear like with your song Smile, this wonderful resilience. And like I think that's such a beautifully crafted song given the title of this record. Tell us a little bit about that and how you wrote that song and what was going through your mind. Smile, leave you never leave. 
Well, we go from Call Me a Fool, which is where the fool and the dreamer takes the leap. Mm-hmm. Then they fall. Because if you're going to dream, you got to be ready to fail. You got to know how to fail. And you got to be okay with failure. Mm-hmm. And you can't look at failure as a loss. You got to look at it. It's not a loss unless you set it for it. So the way it lands after the dreamer falls is it smile and the song starts and then the person says, well, I dust it all. Yes, I'll get back up. It was worth the fall when the times got tough. And it goes into the story of how this person, all they could do was smile. Because sometimes when you hit that low point, it's just so dark and it sucks. And the whole world's seeing you fall. Because if you're a dreamer, the world will watch you. (laughs) You are low. You are on the ground. And there's only one place to go. And that's up. That's the only place to go. And so all you have to do is sit there in your power and let that failure just really seep in and feel it. Because it's your fuel. It's your gasoline. It's how you're going to take this rocket all the way to the stratosphere and hang out with the moon and stars. Be thankful that shit happened. Yeah, right. (laughs) So Smile is a song where I saw a film on that song after it was written and after we had the record made and I was watching the pandemic. I saw the civil rights movement. I saw this old black lady sitting on a porch of a sharecropping house. She had been a slave and she was just newly freed. And she knew that her kids were going to have to suffer, that there was more to pushing for freedom than, yeah, she was free, but she wasn't. And that her grandkids and that her grandkids' grandkids, that there was going to be a lot of pushing that still needed to happen. And she started to cry. And as she cried, she just started to smile in the middle of that because she knew that that was her power. It's never going to be taken from you. Your ability to find joy in this moment, no matter how hard the dream has been, nobody can take that from you ever. And that is joy. That is just pure joy. Mm. (laughs) So It's fire. It's fierce and it's powerful. And when we as humans and when we as a nation, we as the people realize our power and people stop manipulating our power because we are fully in tune with ourselves, you cannot imagine the beauty that we will begin to create. I'm excited about that. That's what I want to say. I mean, you're you're making me cry and also getting me fucking pumped up at the same time. It just feels like... Resilience and joy. You're right. You can only let someone steal your joy if you give it to them. And your fans, looking at the comments that I see under your album, you've taken them to this plane. Someone said, pure oxygen for the soul that makes you feel as if it was on life support until now. Will we ever be the same? What? Someone made that comment about your album. Uh, on YouTube, pure oxygen for the soul that makes you feel as if it was on life support until now. Will we ever be the same? That's how transformative your project was to this one person. And I know that that's one comment of many, but like that's some serious feedback. And I think that you've engaged this fan base that like really is paying attention and wants to go there with you. 
on all these journeys. And that's kind of amazing. Does that ever overwhelm you or can you just kind of not even go there when you think about the power that you're exerting with this music or do you give the power to the music? Mm. It's so much bigger than me. And I had a friend years ago say that artists, it's not their responsibility to live up to their art or to carry that projection that their fans will have. It's not. And I have been so afraid throughout my career to shine and to be great and just like to just be who I came to be, to sing, Mm -hmm. to share my joy, to be as happy, to smile. Because if somebody sees you smiling, they might take it. But I had to realize like it's flowing through me, you Mm -hmm. know, and like it's bigger. It's bigger than me. And I don't have to live up to it. And I'm going to fail. Like I'm a dreamer. And I don't want to feel like that pressure of being oxygen. What I came to do is to be a creator and to do that without any kind of filter or things stopping me. That voice. I came to overcome that voice of doubt. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's been about for me, this whole journey in music and in life and, and dreaming. It's been Simply saying to that voice, not choosing the voice of fear. And so I'm still working on that, but I really feel like I'm in a better place with it at this age and this time of my life. I feel like now is the time to just allow myself to say I am worthy of whatever the spirit wants to have come through me. I'm worthy. I can do that. If I want to draw, if I want to dance, if I want to play music, if I want to write a poem, however it moves me in that moment, I'm worthy of that, you know, and not block my blessings. That's Mm -hmm. kind of like been my thing. Well, I'm scared. I don't want to be that successful. That's that's scary. Not block my (laughs) blessings. That is just like, I'm stealing that for sure. I think blocking them, girl. Yeah. Oh my God. I I think having that feeling of imposter syndrome and fear of success. And I've been dealing with questions just about what genre I fit in for years and years and trying to guide the narrative. But I think that you've really gracefully handled way more prying questions about different things like that in every category that we fall under as humans and having to pick one. But I think not blocking your blessings is the key and just allowing for ourselves to be ever-changing and living, breathing, evolving things. I like to finish this. Thank you so much for all of your time and for talking with me. I can't wait to meet you when you come to Nashville. And I'm just looking forward to seeing you perform live, not on a screen. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. But we always talk about just what the challenges of being a woman in the industry are. But I like to end these conversations by asking what you think an advantage of being a woman in the industry is? Well, I think there are so many advantages. And I really like this side of Dolly Parton that highlights the advantages. Mm -hmm. She does speak about that a lot. 
And I think one of the biggest advantages we have right now is that we have the microphone. Yeah, we, we do. Women we do. have the microphone right now. So. We have their attention. <laughs> yeah. What are we going to say? You know, every voice doesn't have to be that voice that starts a girls group or like, you know, does the mainline heavy lifting. I think that just singing and just being who you are and encouraging other women if you see them coming along and saying hey keep it up you can do it it's not easy but you can do it yes (laughs) just keeping that part going while we have the mic we need as many on our team as we can get (laughs) right and there's so many amazing guys who are supportive of us right now and that's what I mean by we have the mic like Jack Mm -hmm. was one of those guys who's like yeah, I want to see women producers. I want to see more females in the industry being successful. And he didn't just say it. He put his energy behind helping make that happen. And I see so many men in the industry who are open to doing that now. And I think we just have to soar with it. We have to fly with that. And Mm -hmm. the door is open. So now it's like we just got to keep it opening wider and wider and wider. (laughs) Amen. We have an opportunity. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, Valerie, you are just an absolute light. Thank you so much for your music and for your time. And I can't wait to see you soon. And happy touring, getting back out on the road. Yes, thank Woo! you. I can't wait to see you when I come to Nashville. And thank you so much for making time. Thank you. Love it. Thank you, Maggie. I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. That's a wrap. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with the effervescent Valerie June. Keep up with her on her socials at the Valerie June and make sure to pick up a copy of her album, The Moon and Stars Prescriptions for Dreamers, and a copy of her fantastic and beautiful book of poetry, Maps for the Modern World, available anywhere books are sold. And to keep up with me, my music, and my touring calendar, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at I am Maggie Rose. Catch us out on the road on the Have a Seat Tour. Go check out my website, Maggie Rose Music, for dates. And you can find me on With the Band, where you can get exclusive Sleep the Songbird content, along with new music, live stream concerts, and more. You've been listening to Sleep the Songbird on Osiris Media. The executive producers are Kirsten Cluthy and Brad Stratton from Osiris Media and Austin Marshall. And the show is edited and mixed by Brad Stratton. Original music by Maggie Rose. Please subscribe to Sleep the Songbird on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. And if you like the show, recommend it to a friend or leave us a review so that others can join the conversation. Thanks so much for listening, and here's Call Me a Fool from the fantastic record The Moon and Stars Prescriptions for Dreamers by Valerie June. Hey, ha.
Osiris. <laughs> 